Exodus 32 this morning in your Bibles, if you would please. Exodus chapter 32. Planning in January to start something in a little bit different direction, and I'll let you know more about that in a couple weeks here. But uh, Exodus 32, we're going through Old Testament stories, and this is one of those. interesting stories to me in a lot of different ways, and I won't take the time to read the whole story, but we'll start in verse number one, and we'll read a few verses and get into our lesson this morning. The Bible says this, Exodus 32, 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them. At their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf, after he had made it a molten calf, and they said, "These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt." And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, "Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord." Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. I do thank you for this story, Lord. I do pray that you would. Help us to glean some truth from this, Lord, a very familiar story, but much that can be learned. I pray that you'd help us today. I do thank you again for all that you do for us. Bless our preacher today, all the other classes as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Of course, we know this is the time Moses is up in Mount Sinai and he's meeting with the Lord. And the Lord is is talking to Moses and uh, people get impatient. How many of you have ever been impatient. I get impatient sometimes. I get tired of waiting for things. And sometimes when I get impatient for things, I try to push it. I try to force it. I try to make things happen that, you know, I don't, for instance, when I was growing up, when mom would bake or she'd make something and it would be, you know, I would, I would really want it. And you know what happens? If you take Chocolate chip cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies, especially if they have walnuts in them. I, you might or might not like, like walnuts, but I love chocolate chip cookies with walnuts. And my mom would make chocolate chip cookies. And when she would make them and take them out of the oven, if you've been around baking very much, you know that when you very first, as soon as you come out of the oven, I want a hot chocolate chip cookie. But here's the problem. If I grab it as soon as it comes out of the oven, what happens? It'll burn. It falls all apart to pieces. I get chocolate that, while it's delicious, burns the skin off my fingers. And I, what I what I wanted, what I was what I was anticipating, what I was so excited about, I can't even enjoy anymore because I burned myself because I wasn't willing to wait for it. If you wait just long enough, if you wait just a few minutes, I haven't got it down to an exact science on exactly how many minutes it is, but it's not very many. You just want it to cool just a little bit on the outside, enough so that it'll stay together so that you can pick it up and eat it. And then it's delicious. But if you don't wait, what can be a good thing could end up being a bad thing. And there's, 
You could give a, a lot of illustrations as to that very thing. The, um, whether, whether it's my, my daughter over Thanksgiving, my daughters and my wife are making a whole bunch of desserts for Thanksgiving dinner with the college kids at the, at the college in the dining hall, and my one daughter had made a couple of cheesecakes. And we were in a rush, and we're going you know, back and forth and doing this, that, and the other thing, and they're all making stuff, and I'm trying to stay out of the way and just clean behind them all. And uh, my daughter makes these cheesecakes, and they look in the oven, and if, you, if you've made cheesecakes before, I'm not a baker, but cheesecake, you, know, you put it in there, and it rises, and it looks so pretty in the oven. But what happened is, my daughter got impatient. It looked good. They had a lot of other stuff going on. It, it had risen. And she pulled it out of the oven, and when she did, guess what happened? Boom, the whole thing, both of them just completely collapsed. They looked like a pothole, a white pothole in this. And so my daughter was thoroughly distraught because as soon as they cooled, my wife took both of those cheesecakes and threw them in the trash can. She said, we can't serve that like that. So she made two more, and they were delicious, and she made a bunch of other stuff too. And it was all delicious. But the point being, those things, while, while initially just with the impatience, you wanted to bring them out, they needed a little bit more time. Moses is talking to the Lord, or the Lord's talking to Moses. Moses probably, I mean, he talked some, but largely listening as the Lord spoke to him. And... Aaron and the people are down waiting. And it says in the first verse, if you look at it again, it says, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. (coughs) It had taken a while because the Lord was talking to him. The Lord was communicating with Moses. They got tired of waiting and they said, hey, we need a leader. People always, people always need leadership. They need leadership. They need something, someone to follow, to gather around. That's why you see in all around the world, you see all these cults that rise up and you see these different things. And from anybody on the outside, you look at it and you say, how in the world could somebody fall for that? Why would they get behind that? I mean, some of these claims, you think of some of these, you know, all the people drinking the Kool-Aid and all that different stuff and all the different through some of these cults and things that have things that have taken place down through the years, you say, how could people do that? Because people are always looking for a cause and they're always looking for leadership. And if somebody is charismatic enough and somebody has, you know, something that sounds like a good idea or something that nobody's ever heard of before and we have a way, anything that seems to be exclusive, hey, you can be part of this exclusive club and only there's only a few select few that have been chosen and you could be one of the chosen ones. Everybody wants to be special. And if you make people feel like they could be special, they'll follow it. For the children of Israel, they got impatient. They wanted leadership. Nobody, you know, they're kind of just waiting because of the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and they're supposed to be following them around and they're just sitting there and waiting and, you know... We've talked before about that, just the anticipation of not knowing if today we're going to be here, tomorrow we're leaving, if we're going to move, we're going to stay, what are we going to do? And so with all of that, they came to Aaron because he was second in command and said, look, we need, we need a leader. 
Make us something that we can worship. We need a cause. We need a purpose. It just is not a good situation. All of us kind of just sitting around here wondering what's going on. Aaron says, hey, tell you what, give me all your earrings, all of your wives' earrings, your daughter's earrings, your son's earrings. We won't get into that right now. But he says, bring me all this stuff. And and, And it says that he made a molten calf and then he shaped it with a graving tool. Now, we know, and again, I'm, I'm kind of skipping around through the story, but we know that uh, <clears throat> he, he made the calf, he built the altar before it there, verses 2 through 6. The Lord saw it, starting in verse number 7. In verse number 7, The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Did you ever notice in your house when my kids get good grades at school, I tell everybody how my kids did, and I tell my wife how they're my kids, and I'm so proud of my children. And when they get in trouble at school, guess what my wife calls and tells me? Do you know what your daughter did? Do you know what your son did? Or I'll say, hey, that's your, that's your daughter. If my daughter does something and she, she's misbehaving or something, one of my daughters, I'll say, do you know what? That's your daughter. It's amazing how even the Lord, you know, because God does call the Israelites His people. But right now, He said, those are your people. You, you brought them out. Who brought them out of Egypt? Of course, the Lord did. He used Moses, but He used Moses to bring them up out of Egypt. And he says, thy people which thou broughtest out of Egypt, hey, your kids are misbehaving and you better go do something about it. God sees that. He says, they have, verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded thee, or which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That's the Lord's recounting of what happened in verses 1 through 6. And it's pretty accurate. He says, this is what they did. This is how it happened. This is what took place. This is what's going on. Verse 9, the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They're stubborn. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God tells Moses, he says, back up. Just leave me alone for a minute. You just back up for a minute. I'm going to wipe out all of them. Two, three, four million people. God says, I've had it. I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. You're the only good one of the bunch. I'm going to start over with you. I'll make a great nation, but I'm going to do it through you. And so just back up and let me go. But look at what Moses does in the next verse. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with mighty hand? Notice what he says there. He says, why doth thy wrath wax hot against whose people? 
thy people. He says, let me just remind you, they're your, they're your people, not mine. My wife, one of the things that gets me more than anything else, especially with my son, we're always, you know, as dads, we tend to be the hardest on our boys. And mom is the great mediator that tries to soften the blow sometimes. And some of the things, as my son was growing up, and even now as he's becoming an adult, some of the things that drive me, the, drive me nuts the most about him, and how my wife will see me get aggravated with it or something, and he's, he's, very, he's a good kid and doing very well. I'm, not, I'm making my kids sound like they're horrible, but they're not. They're good kids, and I'm thankful for it. But some of the things that will aggravate me, and I'll say something to my wife about it, I'll be like, your son, he's just getting on my nerves because he did this. And you know what she says? You know where he gets that, don't you? He's just like you. He's just like you. He's your son. Now, Moses wasn't saying to the Lord, hey, the reason they're this way is because they're just like you. Miss Kimberly, can you have a seat and do that after class, please? Thank you. Yeah, well, do it after class so everybody can pay attention. I appreciate it. The, um, he says, these are your people. He's reminding them, they're your children. They're not my children. He says, thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt. God said to Moses, your people that you brought forth out of Egypt. And Moses turns it around back on the Lord and says, look, they are your people. You did bring them out. And he, he is a mediator for the people of Israel. Wherefore, should the Egyptians, verse 12, speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, and uh, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. And he reminds, Moses kind of spend the next couple of verses there, reminding the Lord of why he did what he did, where the children of Israel come from, a little bit of the history there, and this is how they got to this place. And Lord, remember, if you destroy them, your reputation is on the line. It's kind of like a, a, a wife saying to her husband, remember, if you tell everybody how bad your kid is, they're all going to know he's your kid and you're the one that raised him. And Moses intercedes on behalf of the children of Israel. Just a couple of points quickly and I'll be done with this. First of all, this to me in the Bible is one of the greatest illustrations of the power of prayer. Prayer is the ability that is the thing that gives me the ability to literally change the heart of God. I have the ability, you have the ability, with your prayers, to change the heart of God. I don't know today who there might be that might be this close to experiencing the wrath and judgment of God in their life. The children of Israel, this entire nation of Israel, was this close to experiencing complete annihilation. God was about to wipe out several million people and one man 
that was walking with God, that was a meek man. The Bible tells us the meekest man in all the earth. Meekness is just the, the willingness to adjust to another's agenda. The willingness to adjust my plans to somebody else's agenda. Moses was a meek man. But Moses was a great leader. And he went, he, he on behalf of the children of Israel, God was, God was right in his indignation against the children of Israel. He was upset and for good reason. He brought them out, all these miracles, everything else that he did. And the children of Israel said, thanks but no thanks. We just made us a statue and we're going to worship that instead. God says, I'm done. I'm going to wipe them all out. But Moses intercedes on their behalf. Let me just encourage you to do something. Pray for people. Pray for people. You may know somebody that's away from the Lord, that's, that's, that's maybe even doing things that are in the very face of God Almighty. That doesn't go unnoticed by God. But your prayers, my prayers, may be the very thing that keeps that person from experiencing the full weight of the judgment of God. I had a couple weeks ago, I don't remember if I mentioned this in class or not, I had a couple weeks ago, Saturday afternoon, I was driving around and there was, uh, when I was working at Lowe's, when I was in Georgia, there was a lady that uh, was one of the managers there and she was the HR manager. She was the lady that hired me. And uh, she had never been to my church, but she was a saved lady, got married in a Baptist church, had been in a Baptist church, but was out of church now. And uh, she always called me her pastor, even though she'd never come to my church. And Saturday afternoon, a couple weeks ago, I was driving around, and for whatever reason, I haven't spoken to her in a year and a half or whatever since I left Georgia, and the Lord just put her on my heart. And I stopped, parked the car, and she's got a couple of daughters at her college age, and I stopped, and I just spent some time praying for him and just sent her a text message. I still had her number in my phone, sent her a text message, just said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Hope everything's going well. She almost immediately responded and said, why did you reach out to me? I said, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. The Lord just put you on my heart, and I was just praying for you, praying that the Lord would take care of you. And she began, she said, can I call you on Monday? I said, sure. So Monday she called me, and I was with my wife, and um, I, I talked to her for probably an hour, and she said, you wouldn't believe the things that I'm going through, spiritual battles and different things. She said, I can't even, I've had waking up and seeing dark clouds in my room and everything. It was a lady, the almost 50-year-old lady. She said, I haven't slept with the lights off in my house in two weeks because I'm scared to shut the lights off. She says, just as some of the stuff that's going on with her daughters and everything else, got a daughter in rehab and all those other things. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that the Lord put her on my heart. And so I stopped and prayed for her. You don't know, and I don't know, what God's doing in other people. But when God puts somebody on your heart, stop and pray for them. Take a few minutes, stop and pray. You don't know what God's doing, but I've had that on a, on a fairly regular basis. God will put different people on my heart and I try to stop what I'm doing and pray for whoever that is. When, when a random name just pops into my head, I just assume it's because the Lord wants me to pray for him. And so I'll pray for him. And I'll try to send him a message and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. 
Send them a message. Let them know that I'm praying for them. But you don't know what God is doing or what somebody else might be going through. If God puts my name in your head, if you want to get it out of there quickly, just pray for me. Then maybe it'll go away. But whatever, you know, there's something about what, and, and literally Moses in his interceding on their behalf saved an entire nation of people in this conversation with the Lord. But one other thing, and I'll be done this morning. It amazes me how when Moses comes down, what happens is he comes down and asks, uh, you know, what in the world is this that I'm seeing? Of course, he sees the, <coughs> the golden calf and everything. He says, what is this? And Aaron, what does he say? He says, I don't know. He says, we just threw all this stuff into the fire and this is what came out. I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't even know how this happened. I just, I, have you ever had that conversation with one of your children? I don't know how that stain got there. I don't know how that hole in the wall got there. I don't know. I was in the other room and I came back and there was just a hole in the wall. I think we might have ghosts in the house, Dad. I don't even know. I cannot explain it to you. I don't know how my sister's bike got up in the tree. I think there must be ninjas somewhere out in the garage that did that, I don't know. You know what's amazing to me, and I mean, it, it can be comical, but it's kind of sad too, is some of the ways, some of the excuses that we come up with to cover our sin. Can you imagine how foolish some of those things look in the sight of the Lord? When we try to explain, have you ever, have you ever seen a police officer looked at your speedometer and immediately begun thinking of what you were going to say if he pulled you over. Tried to explain, well, I was in a rush to get here, I was in a hurry to get there, I was, didn't realize what the speed limit was, or I thought it was, you know, 10 miles ago the speed limit was 55, I know it's 25 here, but I was still slowing down. You know, whatever the case is, it's amazing how our brain works. But what's more amazing than that is the fact that God knows what we think. He knows our heart. He can see us. We read that and we say, that's the most ridiculous thing. Why would he even say that? Everybody knows it's not true. The Bible even records that he formed it after he had made the molten calf. Then he took the graving tool and formed it and all those sort of things. The Bible makes it very clear. It's the same with us sometimes when we're trying to cover our sin or excuse our sin that we'll say, well, you know, I can, this is why it's okay. This is why I can explain. Oftentimes, well, always, the best thing for us to do when it comes to our sin, even, you know, if it's a bad choice, if it's a mistake, whatever it is, is to just simply say, I was wrong. Only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. The reason that there's arguing between husbands and wives, there's reason that there's arguing between parents and children, the reason there's arguing between bosses and employees, all of those things, the reason that you have some of those difficulties is because people don't like to say, I was wrong. You say, well, what if they were completely wrong? What if the, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. One of the things that my dad helped me with tremendously when it comes to the ministry, but also in my family and my home and relationships, was he said, even if 
you think everything you did was right and that other person feels like you wronged them, you can apologize for whatever it was that gave them the impression, you know, hey, I'm sorry if something that I did made you feel as if that was my intention. If I did that or the fact that I did that, I I am so sorry. There's something very disarming about that. That even if somebody is completely ticked off and ready to go off the rails, once you say, hey, I was wrong and I'm sorry, it's like, well, uh, okay. We need to just acknowledge, we need to step up and say, hey, look, I was wrong, I made a mistake, I made a bad choice, I did this. Just two things this morning and I'm done. One, don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. And two, don't ever underestimate the power of a genuine apology, of a genuine taking responsibility for your actions and what it can do. If you read the rest of the story, you know thousands of people lost their lives. God would have forgiven them, and God did forgive the ones that said we were wrong and we're sorry. Those that were too stubborn to do so lost their lives. And that's where Moses interceded, and Moses had saved the lives of all of those people if they would just make the right choice. And then he went down and Drew the line in the sand and you choose. And the ones that didn't lost their lives. The ones that refused to say, I was wrong. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. I love you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you are a gracious and a merciful God. But, Lord, we need to be reminded that you are a just and holy God as well. I do thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for all that you do for us. God, I pray that you'd help us today to keep you first. Help us to pray for people. Help us to intercede on on the behalf of others, but also not to underestimate the power of prayer in our own life, the power of God to be able to change our situation, our circumstances, our difficulties, if we'll let our requests be made known unto God. Thank you for giving us an avenue in prayer that we have the ability to not only communicate with you, but to, to, Lord, Learn your heart to talk to you. I love you. Blessed today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are.